0: Volume 1, Chapter 6 of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 6 Like other mortals of my kind, I've struggled for Dame Fortune's favor, and sometimes have been half-inclined to rate her for her ill behavior. Millman. From the same to the same. November 30th. The times are out of joint for our friends. Mrs. Willard looks and talks abstractedly. She has some new scheme in her head, of that I am sure, but as yet I have no key to the problem she is solving. I have not seen Mr. Willard rub his hands or laugh to himself, his strange, low, exulting laugh, since he heard of Richard's return. Ellen is ill, both mentally and physically. Mr. Merritt looks careworn and dissatisfied. When he addresses Evelyn, indeed, or listens to her, his whole appearance undergoes a change, but at other times he entrenches himself in his own dignity— and treats even his mother-in-law with the most chilling formality i have heard although i know not how the truth may be that he has been less prosperous in business lately and that he is weighed down by the enormity of his domestic expenses i have myself observed that he seems of late totally to have forgotten the disorderly state of his household when Mrs. Willard undertook its management. He no longer remembers how much he is indebted to her skill, prudence, and economy. And I fear he looks upon her, her husband, and the unfortunate Ellen, as a burden which he would gladly loose from his shoulder. But Evelyn, you will ask, how does Evelyn bear this change? I answer, she has nothing to bear, for her happy temperament prevents her seeing what she could not comprehend. Hers is the only face of that once contented circle which still wears the sunny glow that laughs on earth and all below. December 1st. Here is a revolution. "'what it means I leave to you to divine. "'When I returned from breakfast this morning, "'I found Mrs. Willard quietly seated in my chamber, "'turning over the leaves of a book. "'She addressed me with, "'My visit is not to you, Kate. "'What do you think brings me here?' "'I am sure I cannot conjecture,' I answered very sincerely.' I will not tax your imagination, for I know that its efforts are not wasted, replied Mrs. Willard, pointing to my secretary, which even at that hour of the morning stood open. The fact is, Kate, I do not think it precisely right for us to live with Walter any longer. My delicacy will not permit my doing so. I never intended to pay him more than a visit of a few months at the longest. She said these words with an air of perfect frankness, and as though she expected me to believe them implicitly, having in all probability forgotten that I had seen the wires of her marionettes, and knew in what manner they were played upon. She continued, but without looking at me as she spoke. "'I am going to engage rooms here.' "'I have already heard that Fleecer has several apartments vacant, "'and your being here is sufficient attraction "'to make me give the house the preference.' "'I tried to look my acknowledgements, "'but had too much doubt of Mrs. Willard's sincerity "'for me to succeed in doing more than bowing them. "'What will Evelyn say to this?' "'I question by way of saying something.' Oh, of course, Evelyn must make up her mind to what is inevitable. She cannot suppose that I can devote my life entirely to her. I have another daughter and other duties. But I must bid you good morning now, Kate, for I suppose by this time Fleeser is at leisure. She left me with great deal of empressement, and I sat for some time musing upon her strange character, and wondering whether the contented air with which she generally clothes her feature could ever be the real garment of her soul. Prithee, what do you think of her? Is there not true female generalship in her maneuvers? December 3rd. The Willards are here, and so is Evelyn half the time. Mr. Merritt only made those objections to their removal from his house, which absolute politeness required. Evelyn's remonstrances were quickly silenced, and as she has a particular faculty of making the best of everything, she soon discovered that it was a delightful walk from her residence to fleecers, and the exercise which she would now be forced to take for the sake of seeing her mother would benefit her health. Ellen has recovered her spirits, or rather has received an acquisition of spirits which she never before possessed. At times she sinks into her former state of inanimate dejection, but the fits are short. And a word or look rouses her. I cannot say that she has exactly followed my advice and made a charity a source of amusement or a regular occupation, "'But this is perhaps owing to circumstances rather than to disinclination. "'Last evening I made some casual allusion to the conversation "'which took place between us the other day. "'The blood mounted to her cheeks as she replied, "'Your advice impressed me, "'but it is not always easy to find what we look for. "'It may be that I am not in the right train.' "'but I know of no needy persons whom I could benefit. "'I look at every beggar I meet on my walks and long to speak, "'but how can I stop in the street? "'It would look ostentatious. "'I am strangely puzzled, "'but still I am determined to be of use in the world. "'I could have guided and advised her, "'but I knew that I should render her a greater service "'by making her dependent upon her own resources.' and therefore gave a turn to the conversation, which insensibly wound it into another channel. Afternoon. I have seen him again. We have spoken. I am ignorant in what manner Mr. Elton discovered that I resided in New York, but this morning he honored me with a visit. Imagine how my heart throbbed when my presence was requested in the parlor, and I read upon the card, placed in my hand, Ernest Elton. I am pleased, yet grieved, anxious to see him, yet half inclined to shun the interview. With faltering steps, yet ashamed of my own weakness, I entered the drawing-room. His back was turned, his head reclined thoughtfully on his hand. I had time to recover myself before he observed me. The sound of my voice aroused, but I trust that it did not move him so painfully as his tone affected me. For the sake of old friendship, I offered him my hand, and he took it with grateful emotion. Ah, oh, Elizabeth, there are scenes for which words cannot describe, feelings to which no language can give expression. Be it enough for me to say that I have seen him that we have conversed, conversed almost like casual acquaintances, and this is as it should be. He has returned from Charleston, and is, I believe, unaccompanied by his wife and children, but I had not the courage to inquire after them. I observe that he was attired in deep mourning, and must, therefore, have met with some recent loss. His visit was short, but to me not so productive of unpleasant emotions as I had anticipated. He has entirely lost his former exuberance of spirits, his ambition, his hopefulness. In short, he is changed, indescribably changed. And wherefore should he not be? I, too, am not the same. December 5th. Would you believe it? Richard has really managed to present his friend, Colonel Damoreau, to his mother and Ellen. The introduction took place last evening. I never saw Richard look so, uh, I will not say, genteel, but respectably odd. He made his appearance in an entirely new suit, which I strongly suspect was furnished at Colonel Damoreau's expense. This Colonel Damereau is a very different person from what we naturally imagined him to be, judging from his intimacy with Richard. I shall give you but a hasty sketch of him. He is strikingly handsome, his manners polished in the extreme, and his appearance rendered conspicuous by that commanding form and dignified mien which so often characterize military men, He has evidently made the art of pleasing his life's study, and is adept in the science. To say that everybody was fascinated with him comprehends all that I need add. As for Richard, he listened with as much attention to every word that fell from the colonel's lips as though they proceeded from those of an oracle. I can place but one construction upon Colonel Damoreau's intimacy with our curious friend. The Colonel has seen a great deal of the world, is thoroughly acquainted with its ways, and is tired even of its pleasures. He is seeking for something new, something that can divert and excite him. This diversion Richard's peculiarities have doubtless afforded, and he studies our friend's mental developments as he would the physical formation of some strange animal at a menagerie. Richard was particularly anxious that Evelyn should accidentally join our little circle, and ran to the door every time the bell rang. I fancied that Colonel Damoureux's eyes also not unfrequently turned towards the door, but Evelyn did not appear. Is it any wonder that Richard should feel proud of presenting such a being as his sister to this stylish friend? In answer to a question of Mrs. Willard's, the Colonel acknowledged that Evelyn had lately been designated to him in the street, but he made no comment upon her grace and beauty. For the last two days, Ellen has constantly imprisoned herself in her room. How she is occupied, I do not know, for she has so long hidden her feelings in her own breast that she cannot at once overcome her habitual uncommunicativeness. She is cheerful, and therefore, I am sure, does not pass her time in idleness. That knowledge is sufficient for all but curiosity." Domestic clouds gather around poor Mr. Merritt, and are daily breaking into showers over his head. Yesterday all his silver was stolen, and today, at the hour when dinner should have been prepared, his French cook was found inebriated and extended at full length on the kitchen floor, The key of the wine closet had been left in her possession, and she was not strong enough to resist temptation. It is inconceivable how slightly Evelyn's gaiety is disturbed by these causes of vexation. Will she always be as careless-hearted and unreflecting? End of chapter 6